It's time once again for Red Professional. I am, as always, Lex Friedman, joined by your best friend and mine, Dave Wiskus. Hi, Dave. Hi, Lex. Hi. And uh, I would say that this episode probably has the most eye-popping, heart-pounding guest to date, um, mostly because I'm not good at adjective selection. But we are joined today by one of the two co-founders of They Might Be Giants and guitar and rock legend, Brooklyn's own John Flansburg. Hi, John. Hi. That's very. That's a very kind introduction, and I'm... If you could, if you could, if you He's could see those. me across this ISDN line, you could, you could see I'm blushing. <laughs> That's excellent. I, I will say I improved it. We can hear the blush. I, I didn't write anything down. I didn't know what I was going to say until I said it. We like to come unprepared. Yeah, <laughs> I've done a lot of radio shows where they read you the the introduction, and there are times where you know the only thing John and I want to talk about is how to qualify the introduction. You know, that it's just like, no, we're, but we're not that. You just said, you know, because they're, 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 they're almost like, you know, why are you still beating your wife kind of introduction? It's like, yes. here's the guys who, who will do anything to get a laugh, you know, and you're just like, wait, there are a lot of things we won't do to get a laugh and we don't even want to make you laugh. So, you know, it's just, it's, introductions are hard. You know, at, at Fresh Air, they don't even do the. They don't even read you your introduction. Oh, they do it afterwards. They do it afterwards, or a lot, of, or at least a lot of times they do it afterwards. It seems sometimes, sometimes they do it in advance, and the, you hear the person responding. But other times it's re-recorded. They do a lot of very. I mean, they do very smart editing on that show. I have to say, I redub all of my lines. So that I sound smarter. <laughs> I listen to a lot of shows on headphones. And as somebody who is very aware of the ways of Pro Tools, I have to say, I wonder about uh, speaking. You were speaking before we went on the air about uh, journalist, journalistic standards. Right. And, and I have to I have to wonder <laughs> if there isn't some kind of uh, shenanigan line crossing stuff going on there. You know, that se- seems like there's some. Uh, Benjamin Button style, uh, you know, we asked a different question after we got some kind yes. of answer. But I have no, of course, I have no proof of these things. But I know what you mean. And, you know, it's like sometimes you'll see funny people who do that on purpose, you know, very intentionally. Like, you know, when Weird Al Yankovic does his Al TV specials, he'll intentionally edit together the wrong answers to the questions he's providing from some celebrity interviewee. But I know just what you mean when you if they if they screw around with the editing to make either themselves sound smart or probably more likely to make you give whatever the answer was that they were hoping you would have given earlier and didn't. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, there's even. Oh, no, we want everybody to sound good on this show. Well, and I. I think I think everybody who's doing it is trying to look good in one way or another. Um, I actually a couple of years ago there was a uh, what is the name of the Conan O'Brien the great segment on Conan O'Brien with the 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 angry dog or the you know the the famous oh triumph, triumph the insult kind right of dog. right the, I, there was there was a DVD of like the of the triumph's greatest hits on the back of our tour bus and. Uh, I couldn't help but re- as I was watching it, I I realized something that I'd never thought of before until I was you know forty five minutes deep into watching <laughs> watching these Triumph greatest hits, uh, which is that some of some of it's live and some of it's actually oh, is some of it's kind of punched up. Oh, and, like he trumps he punches up his own lines as the dog. 
Yeah, you know, it's all shot in a live context, and you, but you know, and you assume there's a guy with a mic underneath the dog, you know, just talking, but and making the jokes. But actually, some of those jokes are re-recorded and punched up, and are actually much. A lot of times, he'll say something much more shocking than he than he probably said in the in the in situ. I, I would believe that. What always gets me about those bits, I hadn't thought about redubbing them later, but. I always want to know with stuff like that how many people they had to talk to before they found the right idiots to give the foolish sounding answers for Triumph to then mock. Or like on The Daily Show where they'll have those whole interviews where it seems like they really are asking those questions, but you're never sure. Yeah, I think on The Daily Show that is really about getting as far outside media centers as possible. It's really about small town America in a way. I feel like The Daily Show's job has gotten harder as it's continued to be successful over time. Well, I think they do less and less of that stuff because it is it is harder and people realize that they might be kind of opening themselves up to something. You know, I mean, it's a real testament to how hungry uh, members of the House of Representatives are that they keep on going on that show because they, they will only look bad. Now, now, John, just tangentially, you don't happen to know offhand who performs the, uh, the theme song to The Daily Show, do you? Well, it's an... It's an interesting story behind that that theme song. <laughs> the recorded version that everyone is familiar with is actually uh, was actually done by the group They Might Be Giants. Ah, um, oh. but but I do <laughs> want to make a, a major shout out to a super talented guy who is often overlooked when we when it's mentioned, which is the actual the thing that goes na 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 is was done. Written by Bob Mould, who's people might know from Husker Du yeah. or the band Sugar, and his he actually did a, a, an original theme for the show back when it was, uh, you know, the guy, uh, the sports guy. Oh God! Oh yeah, uh, Craig. Uh, Craig somebody Kilborn. Yeah, Craig Kilborn. Craig Kilborn, and uh, and it only played for a couple of weeks, and it was a very. I guess it was it was deemed not big big sounding enough and and they wanted to kind of re refit the show with like a more bombastic musical cues and we had we had done this thing for uh abc television that's sort of like a low rent john williams thing but we're not supposed to be talking about work guys this is the thing but yeah but you know but we got off on a table all i said was who who played the song i didn't even say who wrote the song because i knew you didn't write it i'm just saying you, it's you. In fact, but why I believe are you, you asking need me to these punishment. professional questions. Because I'm a yeah, because I'm a dick. I mean, <laughs> but, but, see, but see, this is the other problem. I was talking to my wife about this right before we got on the phone, which is, you know, I'm I'm essentially a workaholic. Like I don't really have, you know, when you when you know you're talking about your unprofessional life. Like I don't know. I mean, I just have my life, which is this these projects that I do that are kind of related to. They might be giants in one way or another. So well, now, because uh, so I, I guess I wanna, this interview's over. <laughs> yeah, I want to ask this. I want to ask this in a smart way. A large, a, a large portion, at least as I see it, you know, as a you know a fan of the band, let's say, is that a large portion of your professional life is doing stuff that you. I mean, not the the boring minutia that you deal with, but a, a large portion of it is doing stuff that is enjoyable for you. You know, creating music and playing music and and that side of the. Th- business if you i know that before you started doing the band you did like graphic design work if i recall correctly Mm -hmm. if you had a more traditional job that wasn't that sort of artistic expression do you think you would have that same workaholism well that's an that's a that's a really good question i mean that sort of gets to this 
like I, I have to say, as a young person, I was very, very hostile to the even just the concept of professional. I thought like professional was kind of a seemed like a made up construct. It didn't seem right to me. I, I felt like if you were you should do things for more direct reasons, because I knew that being a professional was sort of like had this level of adult responsibility where where you might have to do something that you don't fully believe in, but you're, you know, it's a kind of a get along thing. And that seemed like, that seemed very inauthentic to me as a young person. And now as I've, as I've gotten older, I realize I feel like there's actually kind of an art to being professional um, because in some ways a true professional is kind of a culture smuggler. Like you're, it's a way of getting over because you can, you know, you can find you're finding a way to take your fragile, indefensible ideas and and sort of fool the world into thinking that that's the right, the responsible, good version of what should be done. So I'm I'm kind of I'm a little bit more fond of the idea of being professional. I mean, in in you know what I'm doing, like with in just having a career in music, I, I've I've often said to people. Being a professional musician, you get to do what you want and a whole lot more. <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like the world has become filled with workaholics. And, and you know, part of it is just because everything's been blurred by electronic life. Yes. You know, yeah, the, what, what is work anymore? Work can be whatever it is you feel like doing. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel so bad when I, if I send out an email on a Sunday, I, I, which I basically I've, I re, I've recently sort of stopped doing because I don't want people to I, I'm just kind of wanted to land on their desk on Monday. I don't want to start a long conversation <laughs> about, you know, the work week on interesting on a day off. Yeah, it's you know, and for me, it's. I, I work from home out of my house in New Jersey, so I, I try to work very hard on that to, to ensure that I have time when I'm in the office. That's when I'm working, and it's going to be, you know, say, 8.45 to 5.15, and then after that, I'm going to leave the office, and I'm still going to use the same computer and iPhone and iPad and everything else, but I'm going to, I'm going to very actively not be working. See, I can't do that. I, I wake up, and whatever I feel like doing, I do that for as long as I feel like doing it, and then I do a different thing. I don't have a sense of these are my work hours or my work days. I just kind of do things as they come to me. And then, and then when you're at your, your job, are you still being bombarded with social stuff? I mean, are you like, uh, just as soon as I get to the next level of Angry Birds, then I will return? <laughs> <laughs> I, use, I use Twitter as my reward for doing work. Like, for me, you know, really? I, I, I'm, I'm a writer, so... I'm going to, I know what stories I want to write that day or reviews or news or whatever it's going to be. So I write that. And then before I, I for me, I, I, I like a, a few moments to shift gears. So if I finish, you know, a story about uh, the new version of OS 10, then I'm going to take 10 minutes to catch up on Twitter before I start writing, you know, a review of some new iOS app. What, what, what gets hard for me is if I'm reviewing something that's like involving Facebook or if I'm reviewing something that's involves an iOS game. That's where it gets very hard to figure out what am I playing and what am I working because the stuff that I'm, the st I mean, I have the, the job that I have because it's fun. Right, right. For me, I'm a, a software designer, musician, and writer. So uh, the reward for me for getting one thing done is that I get to go do the next thing. Right, right. Well, that's that. That sounds about right. That I, I, I can I can relate to that. You know, I've I've done this rather extreme thing in my workspace, which is. Um, 
I have no connection to the internet, even though I'm working on a computer. Interesting. You're insane. You, you, How can you do that? How do you live? Well, what's great about it is that, is that I mean, forget, you know, I don't need any antivirus software. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, 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 you know, basically like I have a monastic computer life. That I love is, that. It's, it just does. And, um, and you, f- I find that my computers last an incredibly long time. How do you do the Twitter? Oh, I mean, I, 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 ha- I have other computers in my life. I've got, you know, I've, oh, got, oh, like, okay. I've got four computers, I think. But, um, but it's just the one that I do music on is completely dedicated to that. And it just makes things a lot easier. What computer do you do music on? It's some, it's some giant rectangular silver <laughs> It's like one of the. It's one of those. It's like one of those Mac. Uh, uh, what do you call it when they're like in, impossible, too, too heavy to move? It's, it's the Pro. That's the Mac Pro. It's a Mac Pro. It's. A, I think it's the first Intel one. I have a. I had. I used. I used to have two, two kind of working in parallel, but the the other one, which is fully functional and works great in every way, is the very last one before Intel, uh. and now nothing works. <laughs> This is my favorite. Lex is going to get in trouble conversation ever. Oh I can, no! I cannot. I cannot update anything. Like no programs, no modern programs will work on it. Even though it's completely, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It'll probably it'll probably run for another five years easily. But That's the really only funny. the only trouble is that the world has moved on to a. A more sunshiny place. So, that, but that's interesting. I mean, it's, it, clearly, it's it's a very clever move to say I'm going to take this my my main music making machine and I'm going to leave it disconnected from the internet so that I'm using my focus. I, I appreciate that. But so I'm wondering, what's your phone like? Do you have a smartphone? Do you have an iPad? Or are you truly disconnected when you're when you're in the studio? Uh, well, I I also work in the country, so there's no, you know, the only internet connection we have is with a satellite. And and that is like super. I mean, it's terrible. It's super terrible. It's it's not much <laughs> past having a can with a string attached. Can we then say that you're joining us live via satellite? <laughs> exactly. Whose phone is that? It's not mine. Uh, I'm gonna blame John Flansburg because that way no one will know it's mine. No, it's good. It's done now. <sighs> Hello. It's it's what's hey, happening? Here we go. Now it's done. <laughs> the ring is all gone. <laughs> Is that the old phone? Is that the old-fashioned phone ring? It's that, that was the that's the 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 office. Well, it's the home phone, but there's one in my office too, and so it rang, and I didn't have the ringer off because I forgot, and I'm a horrible person. Yes, you're an do asshole. You, now, do you guys? I'm talking to you on on an actual like a hard hardwired phone, and I'm also just because because we're in the country, there's constant blackouts. Um, you know where the power goes out. Like the power oh, goes out every like three days here, <laughs> um, so a lot of mo- everybody around has like generators except us. They also have rifles <laughs> except us. Um, uh, but uh, when the zombies attack, it seems more like when global warming, you know, finally fully sets in because it's it's something that you know my I, my mom who's older. Uh, well, she's older than me. Um, uh, <laughs> my mom, my mom keeps on having these crazy long power failures, and she's super stoic, kind of old school, upstate New York. And she'll just be, you know, she'll be like, "Oh, it's no problem," you know. I didn't have power for n- nine days, and and I'm just thinking, 
Um, you know, you, you can't just, but the fact that all modern phones rely on electricity, it seems like such a, it seems like such a step backwards because in the sixties and seventies, in the sixties and seventies, if there was a power failure, the phone still worked. So you could call somebody and say, Hey, you know, the power's out. Well, yeah, but now we have cell phones. So if the power goes out, we can tweet about it. <laughs> well, so I mean, I just had a column in, in the issue of Macworld that was just out that was talking about how my family dealt with Hurricane Sandy, where we had no power and heat and phones for a week because we have, you know, the, the voice over IP phones. And what was interesting to me was for us, there was that I got about, I don't know, 15 or 20 emails from an older generation of readers saying, what are you talking about? You couldn't use your phone. The phone jack keeps working. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't plug it into the regular phone jack. I plug it into the modem. And then that makes the house phones work. But yes, you're totally right that it's, it's a, it is a step backwards for phones to stop working because there's no power. And I can't believe how quickly I forgot that phones could work without power. Oh, it was, it was, such, it was such a better idea. And there's no particular reason. I guess, you know, actually... Tangentially on this topic, I realized that this show might be might actually reach the ears of people who could do something about this. I've had I've had <laughs> I have had a pet concept, a pet theory about how to improve cell, cellular communication that that would be it's it might be the best the best idea anyone has had in the 21st century. Wow. And, and, well, this and, is the place to lay it out. That's I'm excited. For sure. Okay. So you've so come to the right podcast. Let's, let's, let's talk, let's talk about the real <laughs> problems of the world right now. People, <laughs> yes. please people let's. talking on telephones in elevators, right? Oh. Pe- or people talking on phones on planes, now, wh- why is it a problem if, that if people are talking on phones on the elevator? It's because they're talking super duper loud. They're worried that the person on the other end can't hear them. And the reason they think that the person can't hear them is because they can't hear their own voice. Original, like pre, you know, back when it was landline telephones, people the, in your ear, in the receiver, you would hear your own voice coming back at you as the person on the other end was hearing it, you, which was is an imp- incredibly reassuring. It's this huge safety net. It's why when you were whispering to your friend while your parents were in the other room that you knew your friend could still hear you when you were 10 years old, that you, you didn't have to shout. It was just there was... You completely your your mind just completely knows that you what you're saying is making it to the other end of the line because you're hearing a little preview of, of the line in your ear. Why did they drop that on cell phones? They di- dropped it because it's digital, and to re- if they were to reproduce the sound on the other end, it would actually be delayed. So there's right. there's a there's a transmission there's a transmission issue. As well as a uh, bandwidth issue, which is that they, you know, there's this, the crosstalk thing that's basically, one, there's only one line going out. Like if you're ever on a conference call and there are multiple people on uh, cell phones and all of a sudden one guy just starts filibustering and doesn't realize that everybody <laughs> and everybody's trying to interrupt them. Well, it's Lex. not because they're just suddenly, you know, feeling like Donald Rumsfeld and they're just going to shout down the room. <laughs> they actually think that everyone's wrapped up in what they're saying. Um, but anyway, my theory, this is, this is what I'm throwing out to the world. And I, 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 if only, I I don't know, I wish this could be done. If there was just any kind of phantom voice, you know, uh, microphone 
coming back into your ear, just playing back in real time what you're saying into the phone, even though it would be like a vanity service. It wouldn't be real. To It wouldn't be what the other person is hearing, but just more like a, a courtesy, you know, the way some appliances have courtesy plugs built into them. This would be like a courtesy <laughs> speaker for the, for the person talking into the phone. It would make everyone speak quietly. Yeah, it's it, you'd no longer have the guy in the elevator going like, "Well, I'll tell you," <laughs> you know. <laughs> just, that's, that's pretty good. Like the microphone I'm using right now has local echo, so I can hear myself talking through my headphones while I'm talking. So this isn't a technology problem. We can do this. We can make this happen on phones. Yeah, it seems like a, a, it would be, cost four cents to make it happen. But it is, you know, people feel like they're holding a dead thing when they're talking into their phone. The fact that they're not hearing the background noise. That's why people talk so loud. I think I'm a weird outlier here only because I don't use the local echo when we do this podcast. Like I have my headphones plugged into my computer so I can hear everybody else. But I, I hear me muffled through my headphones. I've never even heard the term local echo. I take one headphone off so I hear myself the way I would normally hear myself because the local echo through the mic throws me. But on a phone, it would be different because you're still getting both. Up until now, I would have assumed that local echo was the name of an indie rock band. From Portland, Oregon. <laughs> well, it is now. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, don't you have an indie rock band? Uh, yeah, but we're not called Local Echo. No. What is your band called, Dave? I forgot. My band is called Airplane Mode. There you go. Now you got to promote it for you. That's what I do for you. Thanks, Lex. <laughs> Anytime we can plug stuff on this show, I'm happy. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, we didn't give you a chance to plug anything. Did you want to plug anything, Oh, yeah. John? You didn't do the tell people who you are thing. Yeah. Usually I ask people who they are, but I just assume everybody knows. But I believe you have a new album coming out. Would you like to take a moment to plug it? Because you are allowed to do that. Oh, I thought we were talking about air, plugging airplane mode. I want to <laughs> no. know about Is airplane mode's instrumentation what I imagined it would be, which is all vintage Moog <laughs> Monoph awesome. monophonic synthesizers? No, no. Uh, I kind of wish it was now, and it might be in the future. No, it's a music project of mine where I, uh, I write and record songs, and I put them on a blog. Oh. And it's all out there for free. It's uh, I'm doing it backwards. Most people will start a band and then write songs and maybe record them and play shows and put out a record. I'm doing it the other way around. Oh, but that's but that's a noble way to do it. And airplane mode, I call it airplane mode because uh, usually when I was writing lyrics or something, it was uh, when I was flying because I travel a lot. I like it. And so that's kind of the, I would, I would either edit stuff and work on mixing or I would write. And that's kind of the time that I had to focus on that because I didn't have a connection to the internet. Right. Well, there the, were no distractions. The airplane, well, the airplane, airplane mode is a good, uh, you know, it's, it's a way to make the world go away. I'm going to use that as my tagline from now on. <laughs> I hope you're okay with that. So, so do you use rhyming dictionaries? Oh, see, I love this question. I feel like I should, but I don't. Do you use one, John? Um, I this started, is an against the rules question, but I I'll allow it. Using, I started. <laughs> yes, I understand. Um, I started. I I was given a rhyming dictionary as a gift, uh, right at around the same time that I heard an interview with uh, Stephen Sondheim, who is somebody that I actually really do admire, even though I don't feel like. I don't feel like I, I could even point to much influence that he's had over, you know, my thinking about music. Like, he's he's a very singular kind of guy. I mean, I guess, you know, West Side Story is sort of like a, you know, a tattoo on everybody's musical brain. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the 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 really Sondheim-y stuff, I don't I don't think about too much when I'm writing music. But uh, but he had sort of this interesting he 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 really works from a rhyming dictionary. I mean, he really uses it as like a, a trampoline to write songs. 
And it suddenly seemed like uh, it seemed allowed to me. I, up until then, I, I think I would have thought of it as a cop out. I mean, I, I even I think I even once kind of made fun of a friend of mine for having a rhyming dictionary. And now I feel like I should write them a letter of apology. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I've never used a, I don't think I've used a, a paper rhyming dictionary. I always go to, I think it's rhymezone.com. It is. And it's been owned by like 17 people in all the years I've been using it. At one point it was part of lycos.com. And now I think it's its independent thing again. But man. Was that part of the Ask Jeeves uh, era? <laughs> it's, yeah, I believe it. That seems about right. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I've, I've got this old school you know, big, big as a phone book rhyming dictionary that comes with every, it's almost like a 10 unabridged dictionaries lashed together. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very interesting document. And there are a lot of words in there that you don't know. You don't know at all. Um, so it's, it's like, so you recommend this? Oh yeah. I think it's, it's kind of interesting. I guess I just don't feel like there are really necessarily, there's no, um, uh, there's there's this is it's it's hard for somebody you know from new england to say that there's like no more higher moral plane in something <laughs> because you tend to end up making these kind of absolute moral judgments about things but uh but yeah i mean there's it's not cheating i mean it, cr- creative work is creative work if it's good it's good well, oh no i don't i don't i don't worry about cheating I, it's just more that i've never really thought about it because i guess the way my brain works is i sort of like when I'm when I'm writing a song, I'll I'll have the melody or I'll have like one line in my head, and then the rest of it just kind of builds organically. Like I'm not sitting down thinking, oh, what should the next line be? It's but, more of but aren't you whatever thinking? Kind of but when out. you get to that like brutal third verse, aren't you just <laughs> running on fumes? I mean, that's I so I, I I am. <laughs> I might be I might I might be doing this horribly wrong. I'm willing to accept that. But when I'm writing lyrics, normally I'll sit down and I'll play the song, just me and my guitar, and I'll sing gibberish. Mm-hmm. And in the gibberish, I'll, I'll record it. And then in the gibberish, I'll find a line or two that I like, and then I'll keep those. And I'll just keep doing that until I have enough lines to fill the song. See, what I love about RhymeZone.com is that it gives you... I, I, by the way, this episode is not sponsored by RhymeZone.com, but feel free to call us. Uh, when you put in... I, I literally, while we were talking here, put in the word droop. And it gives you, <laughs> it gives you, you know, rhymes you might expect, like hoop or scoop or loop. But then when you get into the, sil, the multi-syllabic <laughs> responses, I've got things like... I don't even know what this word is, but amphibole group... Mock turtle soup, arsenic group. I love all of those things. And I would never think to have mock turtle soup in a song until Rhyme Zone suggested. And then it's like, of course, there should be a song about mock mock turtle turtle soup. Well, wait, wait. You're saying it gave you mock turtle soup as a rhyme for droop? Yes. It it breaks them down by syllable. So I have 108 rhyming results for for droop. That's a Kanye rhyme right there. The the only, the six syllable options are things like, well, they're all group, but they're biological group, mathematical group, and occupational group. And then five syllables, you got embroidery hoop. And then in the four syllable one, that's where it really gets fun. You've got cyanide group, mock turtle soup. You can't, you can't talk about uh, occupational group. This is on this podcast. I'm sorry. No, that's, (laughs) that's exactly right. But yeah, I, man, I love rhymezone.com because to me, I, I agree with you, John, when you say it's not cheating. In fact, I think it's helping sometimes like, 
if I weren't, if if you were going to write a song and you had the opportunity to put mock turtle soup and it only got there because Rhyme Zone suggested it, I think that you have not just not cheated, you have done well. You well, have done good. There's no doubt that mock turtle soup is a fantastic topic for a song. Uh, I, I mean, isn't there, isn't that in uh, Alice in Wonderland? Isn't, isn't there, isn't that what? Now I feel bad that I don't know enough about. Oh yeah, that could be, that the actually does sound right. Beautiful soup. Yes, soup yes. Soup <laughs> of the evening. Beautiful. Right, and it's supposed to be. Their joke is that it's for mock turtle, or it's made from mock. Tur- right, yes. The joke being that it's supposedly made for mock turtle. It's like stone to, soup yeah. or something. It's right. Like, yeah, it's some cruel British. Um, wow. Well, I, I will. Uh, I will check that out. <laughs> and and uh, you know, stamps dot com. Those postage rates are going up. <laughs> But, um, well, let me see. Okay, so when you talk about songwriting, that gives us the chance to at least talk about your your partner. I tried not to say in the outset um, that you are one of two guys and they might be giants. I didn't know if that was the right, if that's the label you prefer or don't prefer, because I think if they might be giants now is the whole band, and there's, you know, it's it's at least a five-person uh, you know, it's, band. It's kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing. Uh, you know, um, we have had the same lineup of sidemen for for well over a decade now i guess um or maybe 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 marty came in officially in 2004 but it's sort of like moving to new york like if you're not born in new york as far as people who are born in new york are concerned you're not from new york (laughs) interesting so to you you and john are they might be giants well yes exactly i mean sometimes we have conversations and you know they're, they're, our, our band, the guys in the band, it can be very headstrong. They're, they're willful people with st- very strong opinions that that will be heard. And there and there are times when you know the only answer can be, well, when you're in the band for 25 years, <laughs> you, you can you can talk about this. But um, you know, we we I think we, in many ways we are uh, you know John and I are really like the luckiest. The luckiest guys in the world because we kind of I feel like I feel like everything about the way that things evolved is has just sort of um, complemented what what was possible. You know, we had we started as a duo, which I think made us automatically think in much more extreme ways than we might have otherwise. And then as we moved into, you know, having these very capable musicians working with us, the, the real, the smart thing to do is to keep it, keep it kind of freaky, you know, and (laughs) how you make a, a, a regular band lineup of, you know, two guitars, keyboards, bass, drums still sound boldly original. I mean, that's what you want a band to be, you know? Right. I mean, not, and it's not an automatic thing. It's really hard to, to have, you know, we have basically the same, you know, line up as a lot of bar bands and you don't, you know, no, nobody wants to hear just a regular old bar band, you know, doing They Might Be Giants songs. <laughs> well, I can cross that off my list. Here's the question that I'm thinking about right now is I, I think of the, the two duos that I think have captivated most of my fandom throughout my life from childhood through now would be you and John Linnell, and then would be Penn and Teller. And Penn, well, because Penn's the one who talks, is famously very verbal about the fact that although he loves Teller and considers Teller a wonderful friend, that the the extent of their friendship is their professional lives, that they don't... Uh, 
you know, they, they socialize once or twice a year outside of work because they see each other so much for work. Right. And I, I always think of that as totally fascinating. Like, wow, these guys are friends and they only see each other professionally really. And they, they don't make time to hang out. Do, is that how you'd characterize your relationship with John or, cause you've been friends since, since childhood essentially, right? Yeah. Although, you know, I mean, like a lot of people in bands, I think it would probably, it probably wouldn't be that hard for us to keep on working professionally and not get along and even we might even we could probably even work professionally not get along and no one would know that we didn't get along <laughs> are you, you know? telling us that you hate john linnell you can you can lay no, it on I the love, line here. i love i love john linnell <laughs> i love john linnell he, i mean I, and you know i'm in awe of john linnell and 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 i'm inspired by john linnell and uh and you know it's it's super fun hanging out i mean he's like he's a he's like a fascinating guy it's like the conversations that we get to have are, you know, I, I, there's nothing more uh, like, uh, delightful than like, uh, being off work for six weeks or something. And then having some one off in Boston or Washington DC and John and I will just like get to drive down to, you know, drive down in the car. And, you know, some of the conversations are, you know, get really, really crazy i mean we you know part of it is that we have this impossible shared history you know we had the same teachers in grammar school um so we can reference things impossibly obscure things uh (laughs) that really illuminate uh you know parts of an argument that might be much harder to get to otherwise um but you know uh like the the truth is that we are forced to travel together so much it's not so much that you know, you know sharing the stage is hard sharing the stage is like a soup is really celebratory and and very much uh, a fun it's you know it's fun to to you know have that kind of professional rapport and be able to take it to the stage um or i mean personal rapport and take it to the stage but um the you know the real problem is is you know there is there you know we there are times when it feels like we are in the longest running production of no exit ever stage <laughs> um, you know uh it's 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 a very it's a it's a job you know the life of an itinerant musician is filled with countless hours of dead time and and uh it's just not it's just not interesting. Uh, you know, the actual stuff of it is just not very interesting. I was talking to some, you know, p- people are always asking us how we can keep on going. You know, we've been doing this band for 30 years. And I, I realized that I think you know, part of it is that we actually, both John and I, have really low expectations about our own personal comfort. Like we, any normal person who's like 50 years old does not want to sleep on the floor of a van. You know, they, they would, they would just, they would be indignant. They'd be like, I'm an adult. I'm not going to pretend I'm 10 years old and, and going to summer camp. Um, but that's, you know, we're constantly put in these very kind of compromised positions and, and, uh, it doesn't feel like that part doesn't really feel like that big a compromise. So, I mean, I guess we're just, we we found the right job, you know, it's not, it's, it's not insulting, but, but when I think about it, I realize that a lot of people would not have, you would not have the temperament to not feel like that somehow was unacceptable or eventually just get to the point where you hate each other. Oh, oh, well the, the hate, no, no, you know, we were friends before we were in the band. I mean, we were friends for almost 10 years before we started the band. So, and we both were coming at the band from, 
from being in other bands. Like we were, we had the even had the added advantage of um, having had other band experiences and not and didn't want to repeat like the things that were uncomfortable about those experiences. Oh, that, yeah, that's smart. So it's it's not like you it's not a high school sweetheart in that sense because you already you're like well I've 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 done other relationships already I've done these other right, bands exactly. I know what I don't want I mean you know when I think of duos I I always think of like Ray Davies and Dave Davies and I just think <laughs> my God that's like it's like two cats in a pillowcase how you know, <laughs> how how could, how could they even have made an album let alone spent a lifetime making music together i mean that that just seems like an impossibly complicated scenario i think about this show and me and lex we could be friends and hang out all the time or we could do this show i don't know that we could do both right i think the problem is we would always be thinking every conversation oh we should totally talk about this on the show and then it would be burned up right we live far away and we we essentially we had not met in person when we first started recording episodes of this show which made it even more interesting no we had well, we? I, it hadn't been meaningful for me if we had. <laughs> well, if you didn't know each other before the show, how did you have the conversation to start the show? The internet. It's, it started with the wrong number. No, uh, we, we knew each other. We you knew guys were just like people in common. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and, and then, people knew you, you wanted to start a show? Right. Well, Dave had been involved with uh, various companies that were doing podcasts and I was, he knew me from my work at Macworld. He wanted me to beta test a podcast related app that he was working on. And so that's how we first met. And then we said, we should do a podcast, not just test podcast related apps. And that's how it happened. It was magic. And that's how we came to form the world's most greatest podcast. (laughs) Most greatest. Do you guys know anybody in the world of, uh, of gaming, like game designers? Cause that's, that's, you know, we just, we just, I just, uh, put together this app with, um, a bunch of people for they might be giants and it was a, it was i mean it was a very long experience considering how simple the app was but right you started talking about it a long time before you released it well i thought it was you know i thought it was going to take a, a month <laughs> turns out software is hard because <laughs> it, it was slightly such, longer it was such an unambitious app in terms of uh just what what it's about you know it's just a music streaming app it seemed like it would be a piece of cake but um with buttons for buttons. Yeah, we're we're easily distracted and uh <laughs> and totally underfunded. But um I want to figure out how to do an actual actual, you know, uh PlayStation Wii kind of game. Cuz I feel like that is that is a realm that is sorely in need of a full uh outside eye reassessment for a field that is filled with such creative people. There are an awful lot of medieval characters <laughs> no argument here i thought you guys were going to be able to give me the hookup are you would, would you want to build a game that was just you know a, a new kind of game or are you specifically thinking we need a they might be giants game for the wii or playstation well, you know i i got some ideas i don't want to i don't want to give it all away that's that's <laughs> you've already listen you've already given away one world changing idea with the cell phone earpiece thing so i get the it. cell phone earpiece thing is is my gift to the world that, right it's and, one patentable idea per podcast i get it yeah these games are how he's going to pay for that gift <laughs> exactly uh you know what we should do right now we What's should that? take a moment to thank our sponsor for this episode who is your uh, sponsor rhyme zone stamps.com 
Actually, no. Our friends at Squarespace are sponsoring today. They have a great product. Squarespace is a do-it-yourself website platform that allows you to make a website or blog in just a few minutes. So Squarespace gives you a free domain name, handles all of your hosting, and offers 24-hour customer support. The whole thing is drag and drop, so it's easy to use. You can drag pictures straight from your Mac onto the layout so you can do your custom multi-column layout have the text wrap perfectly around your images and videos it takes all the the work out of doing a website and dave you'll like this because you don't know anything about design the templates are customizable <laughs> to your own look and feel that's right so actually you know uh, uh, as even as a designer i love it when they do stuff like that because anything right. that that allows people who aren't designers to make pretty things makes the internet a, a more uh an easier pl- thing to look at Exactly. And you can, you can swap out your template whenever you want. And I'll tell you one other thing that's, that's very nice about Squarespace created websites is that they automatically handle all the really hard stuff. So your website scales automatically to fit perfectly on an iPad or an iPhone or, you know, a Windows PC, I guess. So it's, you know, that's pretty. It integrates really nicely with social networks. Uh, and so here's, here's the deal, Dave. They have an unlimited plan. Unlimited plan that offers their best value with unlimited pages, galleries, and blogs, unlimited storage, bandwidth, and contributors. What you want to do is go to squarespace.com slash unprofessional to start a free trial. No credit cards even required. Really? If you decide, I love this, I want to do it, you click enter an offer code below the pricing at checkout and enter the offer code unprofessional1 to get a 10% discount. So it's squarespace.com slash U-N-P-R-O-F-E-S-S-I-O-N-A-L. And then that offer code to get the 10% off is the same spelling of unprofessional with the number one at the end. Right. And, and I when hope- I say this spelling of unprofessional, it is simply the spelling of unprofessional. We didn't make a fake one for Squarespace. Well, well, uh, to be fair, some people out there think that the name of our show is Unprofesh because of the Twitter right. account. Uh, and I've had people say it that way to me. So I think it's fair to spell it out and say, no, it's the word unprofessional, the literal title of the show. Oh, I agree. I think, I think that kind of attention to detail is how you know that Squarespace knows what's going on. I agree. And speaking of unprofesh, we are unprofesh on Twitter and uh, facebook.com slash unprofesh. So if you want to hit us up and say nice things or mean things about us, you can, you can do those there. Uh, if you really want to say nice things about us, though, you can go on iTunes and you can give us uh, a rating in the podcast section. If you, if you search for unprofessional, I think we're the first listing. And uh, iTunes, is that, is that the place with the really large podcasting directory that once featured us for several days yeah, we were for being so great? Right up there at the top. They, they seem to like us. It was, it was pretty Next nice to Bill thing. Maher. Yeah, of all people. Uh, and we're, we're still enjoying a pretty healthy rating on iTunes. And so uh, I would like to take a moment and say thank you to our wonderful listeners for that. And speaking of our wonderful listeners, when we did the live show at Macworld, we had a, a, a lot of nice people come up and say nice things to us afterwards. It's really cool to get to meet some, some people who listen to the show and, and put up with us every week. And, of course, while we're thanking people, Dave, we should also thank Mule Radio for, you know, hosting this podcast every single week our good friends at mule radio absolutely it would suck if they only hosted it like some weeks and then you had to go other places other weeks that'd That'd be terrible that'd be really confusing and here's my guarantee on the on some future show within the next say 30 days i'm gonna read whatever the most helpful rated review is uh from from february 12th onwards since this show is released on february 12th whatever the highest helpful rated review on itunes is after this show i'm gonna read it on another show at some point soon i bet it's a 100 page review from syracuse i'm down but anyway let's get back to the show (laughs) (laughs) hey everybody we're back and there, are, and there are a couple of uh, topics left on the docket, and what and what are those topics? Well, we could talk about uh, left-handedness, right? You are left-handed. I am left-handed, yes. And I, I assume that means you play guitar left-handed. But as now, a are, are either person. you left-handed? 
I'm not. Well, here's what's no. interesting. I was born left-handed, and my parents had been taught that if you have a left-handed kid, that that's a bad thing. So they kept on moving the pencil to the right hand. So I do. I write right-handed, but I do. I mean, what limited sporting things I do, like if I golf or if I play baseball, I do that left-handed. And when I do magic tricks, I do those left-handed. Yeah. I was wait, wait. Say, let's it's, back it's, up. So your your parents, when you were a kid, they like sent you to a camp to pray away the left-handedness, or what? Well, they just did it by hand. But yes, that was the idea. They they prayed the left-handedness <laughs> away. They would anytime I picked up the pencil on my left, they would put it in the right. Did you? Yeah. Did you? Did you have much older parents than regular parents? I mean, that's a very yes. that's a very kind of nineteenth century notion, isn't it? There's about forty years between me and my dad. Holy shit! Wow, and so. th- thirty two between me and my mom. So she was a little bit closer. Was he strict? Uh yes, they were. They were definitely strict parents. He they did not qualify. want to hear about any shenanigans. No. He was not going to have a left-handed son. Right. <laughs> not in my house. <laughs> no son of mine will be left-handed. Exactly. <laughs> and actually, the truth is, the same thing happened to him. Oh. He was so born you think left-handed, that he would, and he his would parents understand. did it to him. Yeah, you think he'd be sympathetic. No, see, I think he was just like, well, this is the way things are. <laughs> right, right. He was trying to save you. He was trying to shield you from a right-handed world looking down on you and no, treating my, you differently. No, uh, my mom is... Uh, super left-handed, and so <laughs> so she was like, I mean, she's like, wait, wait, know, wait, wait, wait. I need to know what that means. What she has no right super hand like twice the size of her, of her right hand, <laughs> and uh, and and you know, she does everything left-handed. I mean, she's actually more left-handed than me. Um, so I think she just she never felt that there was any need to accommodate anything besides my odd left-handedness. <laughs> but I I do a lot of things righty as well, so. Um, uh, you know, I didn't I, know there were gradients. This is fascinating. What's the thing oh, you do right here? Oh, there, there are. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I actually, I cut with scissors with my right hand. I can't cut with scissors with my left hand, which is really awesome. But the, with the guitar, there's also is yet another sort of, uh, uh, kind of crucible to get through because when you start playing the guitar, a lot of people will, will give you like a kind of a, the 2.0 rap that you're dad gave you about right writing with your left hand which is that there's nothing wrong with being left-handed and playing righty i mean for instance there are no right-handed <laughs> pianos and um i i hear from classical friends of mine that there are many left-handed people who you know who play the violin and and historically there was no choice like you just could not play the other way um Occasionally now, in, when you see modern orchestras, you'll see somebody playing left-handed, and you realize how much against the tide they are. To, you know, when you see the bows go up and there's one going in the other direction, it's it's uh, it's inelegant to say the least. Um, and I can only imagine how uh, antisocial it must have seemed as as a move. I mean, you're playing in an ensemble that's essentially synced up visually. Except, oh, everybody's moving one direction. Yeah, except one for guy. you. I mean, there's like there's there's 16 people around you who are going the other way. And what if uh, you just turn around and face the other direction? <laughs> well, that would actually, from a distance, that would look more normal. Sure, <laughs> you can fix it with mirrors. Yeah, yeah, but you know, Dave's, Dave's um, a problem solver. It's what he does. <laughs> but you know, I uh, I I just I, it took me so long. It was such a willful act for me to learn how to play the guitar. And it it just was so difficult in every way. I just couldn't I couldn't make it any anything that made it easier seemed worthwhile. So I just I just stuck with the left handed thing. I couldn't do it the other way. And also I have to say I'm extremely grateful that I'm left handed because 
I would have blown through so much money buying vintage guitars if I had been a righty. <laughs> and because there I was are just going to no, ask, there are no good, there are very few lefty vintage guitars worth buying. Um, right. And a lot of them have been hoarded quite specifically by the guy, the, the drummer from Cheap Trick, one of the guys in Los Lobos, and the guy in the cars, and uh, <laughs> that tennis player who used to yell at the umps. Uh, John John McEnroe. McEnroe. Between mm. those, like those people, that constellation of of self selected weirdos, you have ninety nine percent of the collectible left handed guitars in the United States. So there's basically like a a wealthy and jerky left handed cartel that's buying up all those guitars. I didn't say jerky. I said no. I did. I did. I said I was thinking they, of they are all, specifically. They are all eccentric. I think the the most amazing one is that the drum is that that Bunny Carlos from Cheap Trick collects guitars. I mean, he's a drummer. Couldn't he just collect drums? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I think we're running short on time. But there's one other topic that it feels it feels almost sacrilegious not to talk to you about, given your love for the town but you are you are a a big fan are you not of new york city oh yeah i love new york city you know and it's and it's it's um it's a little bit odd because i grew up in i was born in boston i was raised in boston uh, or outside in the suburbs of boston and although i never i don't think i ever said this while i was living there i i don't think i felt like boston was a big enough city and and i mean that in a very specific way i don't mean like that in a star is born way i mean it in the like 24 hour standard eight film processing way that you know new york city was it wasn't just a company town like la where everybody's like in show business it's a place where there's a million uh, and a million different industries that are all a big deal to within those industries. Like I was, I was just, I was probably just as interested in graphic design as anything else when I was a kid. And New York was the pub was the place where, you know, publishing happened and magazines happened and photography happened and fashion happened and all that stuff. And it just seemed like, it seemed like there was just no limit to what was going on there and whereas in Boston, even just growing up in the Boston, like the sort of burgeoning punk rock new wave scene of Boston in the 70s, it was really easy to to sense like the, the just the finite nature of the Boston scene. It was just it just seemed very microscopic in spite of the fact that there's a bazillion students there and it, it definitely has bohemian culture it's not it's not for like lack of people it's more just like for lack of diversity somehow so i'm i became a new yorker i i live close enough to new york that i can go into the city and it's for me it's about an hour bus ride but uh, I, I feel totally I, I i i just feel lost when i go i part of that is probably my lousy sense of direction so i get nervous whenever it's i'm like, navigating the streets i know but it's <laughs> like I, I don't know which direction i'm going so i never know i have to start walking i have to pick a direction and go and see if the numbers are going up and down up or down and i, I never know which way it's going to be i'm terrible well, you it's be... mostly my own failings as a person <laughs> but, quite possibly I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame yourself but but I don't know who who else to blame. But I think it's I think it's probably whoever made me be right handed instead of left handed. I think it's it, it all falls into the same phenomenon. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I get intimidated by the subway and the roads. I don't know. Man, this is great. We've had we've had so many weird gaps in here. I have no idea how long the show is going to be. This is either going to be like a oh, well, ten should, minute you show, should, or you should whittle it down to a to a nub. I mean, just you know, pick the good parts. <laughs> well, normally the the show runs about forty to forty five minutes. 
we're fucked. <laughs> <laughs>